This podcast is produced by Unedited. It's a valuable thing to try and say to people who are depressed. Like, you, you do realise this is just one version of your life and this is not going to have to be forever. Because I think it is really difficult. It's difficult for anyone, like, in any mental state to imagine the person you'll be in five years because our brains can't really do that and also life is too complicated. But I do think it's a good mental exercise. You don't have to be depressed, even if you're just having a bad day. It's worth saying to yourself, will this matter in, for a start, in 20 minutes? But if, if so, then will it matter in, say, 20 days, months, and so on? There's normally a future point where this, most of the stuff that's currently got you down doesn't have to anymore. That's Mark Watson, and this is episode 202 of In The Moment with me, Alex Manzi. And having battled with depression and anxiety, I became a coach who helps people to live with more abundance and clarity. And this podcast is all about conscious living and positive well-being. When I started this podcast back in April 2017, I really don't think I could have imagined reaching episode 200. But this past week, I have passed that milestone. And now I'm in a position where I can chat to one of the most recognizable comedians on this very show. Mark Watson is an award-winning comedian, a TV personality and author and he's someone who kind of provides a lot of joy for people. He's been doing 24-hour live shows during lockdown but he's someone who's also been faced with his own mental health battles and from that he has written and released a brand new novel called Contacts which documents one man's downward spiral and kind of tells the story of how those closest to him have to pull together to help him and try and get him out of it. This is a very open and honest conversation. Mark touches on his own battles with mental health and you know how he kind of got through that. And we touch on a lot of subjects in the area. We also speak about the importance of the relationships you have, pressures of social media, and how parenting has shifted his perspectives on life. So the aim of this podcast is to inspire. So if you like what you hear in this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and spread the love. But right now, let's jump straight in and hear from Mark. Mark Watson, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you guys. Nice to see you. Um, you too. You've got a nice setup there with what looks like a sort of special podcasting attic. Oh, it, it, it's kind of, it's become a kind of office slash podcast studio slash chill out, play PlayStation and watch TV then. So kind of other than sleeping and kitchen, it's all encompassing really. Very nice. Yeah. It's <laughs> like a pretty cozy deal to be honest. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. I only done it up like a couple of weeks ago because I'm at my parents at the minute during during lockdown and, you know, this whole year basically. So we've had this loft room for, for years and it used to be my den when I was a teenager and ah, yeah. play PlayStation and it's just been unused. So decided to kind of create it into a, an office space type it still so, has so. the look of a den definitely yeah yeah i mean you, you, you haven't even seen the led lights yet you won't be able to see them in the daytime but that's the that's the uh I'll imagine them cherry on the cake <laughs> uh, but how, how's things been for you how's uh this second lockdown been working for you uh well i wouldn't say it's exactly working great for me but it's i'm not the primary uh concern i suppose i mean it's all right actually it's just like all comedians i'm um frustrated by not being able to do get out and do stuff live uh and we're scheduling stuff which then gets cancelled and so it's just constantly kind of having to adapt from week to week i mean i accept the reasons for it though and i hope that i hope some sort of normality will be the end product but yeah it's a it's a weird time all of us are sort of in this limbo and you know when you look back on 2020 most of most of it will feel like it was a limbo which is weird isn't it? yeah definitely and i feel i think it's i was reflecting on it the other day and i was thinking it's kind of it's going to be a year that we're all going to look back on, obviously, for obvious reasons. But I think because, or well, I hope at least, that there'll be some learnings from it as well. If you know, it's like, it, it seems hard now, but I think moving forward, there'll be some big learnings that come out of it for all of us. Yeah, it's very difficult to know whether it'll actually change people's behaviour and, and 
people's relationship with life um, or not. I mean, uh, you'd think that if anything was going to change the habits of a generation, it would be this, because none of us have ever gone through an upheaval like this before. But who knows? It's easy to say that and then to just fall back into the exact same yeah. habits, isn't it? You'd think that this might... This might um, engender a certain sort of gratitude basically because um we've all been had a proper taste of what it's like to have stuff taken away like mm. stuff like the pub but also stuff like the company of other humans you know so uh, it would be good if we did have more um yeah i think gratitude is the phrase as a result of this but who knows like yeah. i i feel like i mean there'll certainly be some changes yeah people will reassess how they live but not everyone will obviously <laughs> not with everything do you think there's any kind of positives that you've you've taken from it this year? Well, it's possible to find positives. Yeah, like I've I've sort of invested more in in relationships and friendships. I suppose thought more about people in my life and who the important people are, and learned to enjoy simple stuff like you know enjoy being at home watching TV and having not I never sort of there's never a time I didn't enjoy those things, but. Um, I've got so used to being on the road for years, really, rushing around everywhere. It is nice to step, sort of nice to step back and examine how much of that was necessary. But the thing is, a lot of it was. I really liked it. <laughs> you know, you see people tweeting going, oh, I've realised all the stuff, all the priorities I have were wrong. And, you know, I didn't need it. And that's right, I'm sure, for some people. But I've mostly learned that I really miss the way things used to be. Yeah. So I suppose that, that still is a lesson in its own right, isn't it? Again, it comes yeah. down to being, being thankful for the stuff. You know, a lot of stuff that, there's a classic don't know what you've got to this gone situation basically and uh it's never been as true as it is in 2020 yeah and i think i think it, it's helped people reassess what their their true like values are in life like for you you're saying you know being on the road and having the, the connections is like it's core of what you do and it's not necessarily from a you know mark watson identity but just like this generally what you enjoy doing and it's you know, when you don't have those things, it makes you realize actually you do miss them. And I'm sure some people will probably go, do you know what? I actually don't miss it that much either. Like being out and about all the time, I've quite enjoyed having extra time with the family and what have you. So it it, it, it brings up a lot of realizations, I think. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I don't know if, uh, you know, I was different for everyone. Again, certainly some people will find that they, they um, pivot towards it, maybe like simpler more domestic way of life and that's again that's fair enough but yeah being able to travel around and stuff is a big loss to me and you, you do have to um uh well you've got to adapt but i hope that this is not a permanent adaptation i don't want to tear up everything that that i've worked towards for these years yeah and i don't think it will i think it would just be i feel like a reassessment of stuff you know it's yeah. like i don't know if, if for you if this has been like the longest period of time you've had at home without being on the road but even that could have some sort of like learning in it in terms of oh maybe i should break up the the calendar a bit more or whatever it may be well yeah i mean i suppose so but i i don't know like uh, <laughs> you know i haven't really I, I don't enjoy being constrained in this way basically yeah. i'm struggling to see many positives I, I mean uh i suppose the lessons in terms of like do you need to slow down? Do you need to think more about um, being contented and happy in yourself, wherever you are? Certainly there's an element of like dashing around the country which or the world, which could be seen as just running away from your circumstances, from your problems. And that definitely was true of me at one time. Um, 
but I, I feel like I've had things in a reasonably nice balance the last couple of mm. years. And it has been very, very weird to have that thrown off. But again, there's many people for whom it's much worse. And I just, you know, um, I'm grateful that I'm not in a situation where, well, where my health is at stake, I suppose. I guess everyone's health is a bit, but because um, you don't personally know many people that have been badly affected by the illness, it is easy to forget that's you know it is about protecting vulnerable people sometimes it's quite that is quite a distant idea but you have to keep that in mind ultimately this is not really about you mm. i suppose that's what i keep saying to myself yeah i think that's the hard bit isn't it because we 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 take it very personally like i know a lot of people i've spoken to have taken it quite personally like well i can't do this i can't do that and it's like well it's not necessarily about you it's about other people and everyone else and i guess protecting each other right but you know, one one of the good things that I guess for you, which has come out of this, is is your book, which I've just finished reading, Contacts, which by the way is absolutely incredible. It's a it's a really really interesting novel and story. And what what I was surprised by, and we were kind of talking about this before we hit record, is that I didn't actually have any expectations of what the book was going to be about yeah. <laughs> until I started reading it. And it's, I mean, the first line is like a you know without giving away the story is like the guy's gonna the main guy's gonna take his own life that's pretty much the first line so straight away you're like oh, okay this book's a bit different so i'm interested yeah. like what what kind of inspired you to kind of write a book anchored in that space of like which i guess is kind of loosely based but you know quite heavily based in mental health and that world there um yeah well um it's i mean it's it is a bit odd because it feels now more relevant than than mm-hmm. it's sort of intended to be or set out to be because yeah. obviously we've all been uh, crammed into these individual cells, like, as we said, and, uh, you know, the book feels as if it's quite topical in that regard, but of course it's not because I wrote it a year ago when none of us could have dreamed that virtual relationships would become such a, such a, a staple of our lives. But yeah, it was to do with, for me, like, I, I think what, I mean, mental health wise, uh, you know, I feel like there's a lot of mental health um, discourse out there more than ever before. You never stop hearing about it as a, as a catchphrase and as a theme, but um, I, I feel like it, a lot of the conversation is quite general, and a lot of people that are that are struggling that suffer um, from unhappiness or loneliness, isolation. The things that the book are about is about. Um, I don't think necessarily regard themselves as or identify as depressed. They'd be surprised to mm. think of themselves in that way. The, the book is not about kind of like uh, capital letters, mental health as a phenomenon or as a thing that we all have to deal with. It's about one man's yeah. um, unhappiness and the way that people just become adrift from each other, basically. So as you say, the guy like starts the book by texting everyone in his phone book to uh, say that he's going to end his life. And it's not, for him, it's not even a really dramatic gesture. It's not a response to like some massive dramatic misfortune either. It's just that he's become sort of overwhelmed quietly overwhelmed and like unstuck as events have piled up on top of him and i think that's what happens to a lot of people my sort of age i mean i'm 40 now and so is the character in the book is late 30s i think often it's um depression and mental struggles whether you give them that name in your head or not they're often not they're not to do with um i think of course it can be like a, a condition you struggle with for years it can be and it can be triggered by very dramatic life events. But just as often, I think, people, life just kind of beats people down, just wears them out. And you can reach a point in your life where suddenly you don't have the support networks and the people around you that you need to pull you out of that. And that's dangerous, I think. And there's loads of people out there in that situation, but you don't read a lot about it because these people are, by definition, pretty quiet. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's what's quite striking about the book is how how normal it's become for the main character. And I kind of get a sense with with a lot of things like this. It's like even with with the work that I do, right, with the podcast and you know, I've I I've like written and I coach and it's like a lot of that's anchored in kind of mental health. And it's like without having experienced what I experienced with my own mental health, I wouldn't have been able to go on this path of trying to spread awareness and and kind of help people in one way or another right and it's like is there a lot of your own experience in the book in in terms of like being in maybe not necessarily in the space that James the main character is in in terms of like texting everyone being like I'm going to take my life but like being in a place where you felt that kind of loneliness slash depression to to kind of then use that as a reference for the book as well yeah, in a way. I don't think you could write this sort of thing without having experienced a certain amount of the loneliness and depression that the guy does. The flip side is um, that when you're in those situations in life, it's, it's quite difficult to um, be objective about them or forensic about them. Mm. Um, so I, I would say that the book, in a sense, comes from my own personal experience, but I'd also say that things are never as simple like certainly anyone that's ever been actually in the middle of depression and tried to like write their way out of it or create their way out of it um will will know that it's difficult because depression um sucks up your mental energy for you know leeches energy out of you and exhausts you so it is only with the benefit of a few years hindsight that i'm able to uh, like draw on some of those feelings and i think that's kind of i think that's how it is for a lot of creative people as well there is this there is this kind of traditional idea that there's a there's a link between um creativity and depression or you know mental issues of one kind of another and it's true but it is a simplification because you you, it's pretty difficult to actually do anything at all when when life is going that badly in your own head so i think most good writing about uh, depression or bad mental states comes like from a certain distance because you need to be able to look look back on it Mm, yeah for sure and it's like again using my own journey it took me a few years to even be able to look back on it with that hindsight and be like oh okay so I was feeling like this because and then this happened because and you kind of piece it together right so yeah what was it like for you did you did you have like a moment where you kind of woke up to the idea of being in in a bad state of mind or was it something you you were aware of at the time uh no i was aware of it at the time but the the solutions weren't within my grasp basically um like i I was in a marriage which was you know going badly and i had uh problems with like i had young children as well so like level of stress in the household which was difficult i was traveling around um like sort of drinking too much the traveling around wasn't a problem but again as i said earlier it became kind of a stand-in for something else for some sort mm. of stability that i was aware I was missing so basically i knew all of this at the time certainly to an extent but um uh, and then that in turn once you're in that kind of mindset it, it, it triggers other kind of problems and yeah I'd say I was I was more self-aware about it than say the character in the book is because his problem is that uh, he he doesn't necessarily even think of his own problems as being that important. They've just kind of overcome him gradually. He doesn't know the solutions. I also didn't know the solutions, but um, I did feel like it was possible to get to a place where I felt 
better, at least in theory. The, the, you you have a real problem if you don't even believe that as an idea. I think mm. I, I, you know often I think it's a valuable thing to try and say to people who are depressed. Like you, you do realize this is just one version of your life, and this is not it doesn't have to be forever. Because I think it is really difficult. It's difficult for anyone like in any mental state to imagine the person you'll be in five years because our brains can't really do that and also life is too complicated <laughs> um, but i do think it's a good mental exercise you don't have to be depressed even if you're just having a bad day it's worth saying to yourself will this matter in for a start in 20 minutes but if the, if so then will it matter in say 20 days months and so on there's normally a future point where the most of the stuff that's currently got you down doesn't have to anymore it's just again it's a, it's a like mental exercise to get yourself from here to there. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, even as an example, right, I had a really bad day on, what were we today? Today's Wednesday, on Monday, where I was just exhausted. There was, there was no particular reason for it. I was mentally exhausted. Physically, my body was aching from doing nothing all weekend. So I was just like, and I could have let that funk continue throughout the week. But I just thought to myself, look, let me let me just be with this today. Let me be exhausted. Let me feel a bit crap today. Get a really good night's sleep. I went to bed early, got a really good night's sleep and wake up and let's see how the next day is. Yeah. And sometimes you might still be in the funk and that's that's fine. But other times it's like you can wake up and feel fresh again. And it's, I think like you said, it's looking at it in terms of like a short moment in time. And it's like, there's always, to use a book analogy, there's always a, another page that can be turned, which is a fresh page. And you can start again on that page with, with that's better, right. you know i think that's a particularly good mindset to be in uh now because you know the uncertainty of life is really exhausting at the moment no one knows what's going to mm. happen but for christmas beyond that there's all the winter stretching in front of you if you start thinking about it as another three or four or six or whatever nine months of this uh that's really difficult for the brain to do so again i think it is helpful to break everything down into into little chunks basically yeah like you say sometimes you've just got to hang in there and get literally get to the end of a day physically and see how you see how you go with the next one you know and that's as you say giving yourself that space is important there's a tendency in the brain to try and solve every single problem in the world at once um but you can't sometimes you can't solve any problems but that doesn't mean that they're there forever it's about patience yeah and it's about you can only deal with one thing at a time you can't you know, you can't be doing a hundred things and trying to solve a hundred things. You can only deal with what's in front of you in that moment. And it's like, if you, if you slow it right down to that, to that point of view, it really, for me, it really helped, you know, again, in hindsight, it really helped to slow things down like that. So for you, when you were in that kind of space, um, however many years ago, what, what was the thing that made you think, okay, I need to start doing something about this, about, you know, the, the way I feel about, you know, you said the, the drinking too much, you know, I'm aware of it, but what do I do to kind of get out of it now? Um, I was lucky to meet, well, I really knew, but I was lucky to have a really great new partner and friends who formed a kind of support system around me that I felt had been missing from my life partly Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I say partly because I always had a, a couple of really loyal friends even before this, but you do, um, you can come to be reluctant to talk to them or to depend on other people. Allowing yourself to depend on other people is quite an important step, I think. Um, a lot of what you hear about in life is geared towards 
um, self-reliance and you know like don't you can't trust anyone you can only be your own best friend all this stuff and I think that's kind of quite damaging I think there are lots of times in life when actually uh, you ought to be able to turn to people and you have to make yourself do that so I think that was a kind of useful uh, breakthrough for me basically r- reminding myself that I could uh, and should be part of networks of people again it's kind of what the book is about the book is about the fact that you don't really have to do anything in life alone especially these days because mm. If you've got a phone or a laptop or if you have any way of connecting to other people, then that option is there for you. Um, and, you know, uh, this is part of what the book is about, um, like philosophically, I suppose. A lot of people talk as if the fact that we've got like a phone or um, that we're always on social media and stuff is automatically a bad because means that we're all wrapped up in ourselves and we don't see each other as much physically, all this kind of stuff. And obviously that that can be true but there are loads and loads of pluses the book is about people using nothing but like phones and Mm. internet to try and save a guy basically and um i think that i think there are loads of ways in which the technology we now have at our disposal should minimize human loneliness basically but they don't at the moment because we don't do it right but I, i think we need to evolve the next generation of humans needs to and maybe will evolve better ways of living with the technology because if you're my sort of age you have been overtaken by it a bit mm. but if you're if you're a teenager now then you grow up instinctively thinking in terms of uh tiktok twitter phones all of that and again that has some downsides obviously um middle-aged people will always grumble about it but it has loads of potential upsides as well we could have a much more healthily networked universe in 20 years time than we do now and the benefits to humans of that would be quite enormous i think in theory yeah. What are some of the ways then that you think we could start using, you know, social media or, or our phones in general as as a better tool to 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 be connected or feel that connection with people? You know, especially now, right? Especially what we're going through now, it's that's becoming quite key. The amount of Zoom calls and Facetimes yeah. and you know. Well, I think that a lesson from this period is that, or at least, I mean, again, a lot of people are grumbling about. Um, the sheer amount of zooming we've all had to do has been exhausting. There's no doubt about it. And I, if I had to work like this all the time, then it would certainly have got me down by now. Um, like if I was doing five or six meetings a day on, on zoom, as plenty of people are, if they're in business, I can see why that is quite, um, well, boring and repetitive and all of it. And you don't have the benefits of human company, but I, that's the thing. I mean, if, if you, if you're talking to people you like, if you like, I've had quite a few chats like this over zoom with people. Um, I've had like weekly catch ups with friends and stuff like that and played like games and all sorts of things. And basically you still are, this still is company. I think it's not the same as going to someone's house and having a drink, obviously, and all of us miss that, but it's also not the same as just sitting there on your own. So I think a possible lesson from this period is yeah, virtual relationships have a value um, in their own right. It might not be the same thing as being able to give someone a hug, but it's also not nothing. And um, the different creative ways people have used, you know, Zoom, video messaging, all of it, I think prove that there is, for example, I've done quite a lot of shows online with this sort of setup, like Zoom calls, uh, where the audience are in different little boxes and windows and stuff like that. And some of them work better than others, inevitably, but all, all of them do have the effect of bringing people together in some way and i've started to notice that 
some people go to those shows who actually wouldn't go to a comedy show in real life because they can't get out or they don't want to, they don't like crowds, uh, even the sort of crowds I get. <laughs> they don't like semi, so like, you know, there's, and that has taught me again, the internet. And again, I'd rather be in theatres. Obviously, I'd rather be doing my, what I recognise as my job. But also, I have to accept that loads of people, um, there's a whole community out there that, for whatever reason, can't do that stuff. And I, I wouldn't have thought of that before. So, you know, again, online, it, it doesn't have to just be a poor man's way of seeing people. It, it can be a thing you create in its own right, I think. Mm. Um, I did these 24-hour shows. I've done two of them now online. Um, for well, as a fundraiser, but also just you know for fun to sort of perk people up, and um, both of them, but especially the last one, had far more people involved than you'd ever get if I when I used to do it in theatre and stuff like that. Yeah. Again, that's partly because people are stuck indoors and got nothing else to do. But the, the point remains: like there is a there's a world of connection out there which is easier to do with these devices, and in some ways, you know. It's a miracle that we have them. If you'd seen this 50 years ago, you yeah. just wouldn't be able to understand it. You'd, you'd think it was the most miraculous, 20 years ago, really, when you would just about had MSM Messenger or whatever it was. <laughs> like, probably not even that. That's 15 years ago. Like, this would have been seen as like, like absolute life-changing magic for almost the whole history of the world. And um, we just don't because after three weeks of it, you're like, oh, I've had enough of this now. But you shouldn't lose sight of the fact that it's an incredible gift to be able to uh, connect to people anywhere in the world like this. When I was yeah. growing up, I would have thought this was the, the most wonderful future you could live in. Yeah, like walking around with like a a, a thing in your pocket where you can literally just yeah. see someone in Australia. <laughs> you know, exactly. It's, it's it's mind blowing, and it's just that we get used to it so fast, and our brains very very quickly evolve a sense of entitlement. You, you know, if your phone doesn't work for a day, you're furious. You don't stop and think it's incredible that I have a phone. <laughs> yeah. You can't really think like that. You'd be a weirdo if you spent all your time marveling at all the devices in your house, but it's worth now and again, stepping back and thinking, Christ, if this pandemic had happened uh, in the nineties, we'd all we'd just have to write letters to each other. <laughs> I'm yeah. not saying that's necessarily worse, but it is a fairly lonely life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you, you know, you mentioned like there's, there's creative ways that people have been kind of, um, staying in contact and stuff and one of the things that you know has been really really helpful for me is 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 my playstation it's like pretty much every evening it's like i'll get on yeah. the playstation and me and my mates are there playing along and we've got yeah. our on it's like you okay we're not seeing each other and hanging out but we're still having the same jokes and we're still having you know the chats and the, the camaraderie between us to to make us still feel like no i feel like i've i've seen them even though I've, I've probably haven't you know exactly and again that's not that's much better than if we didn't have network yeah. games and stuff like that i mean again it's it's easy to it's easy for people to say ah oh, the only socializing people in their 20s do now is on the playstation and stuff like that or whatever all the things people say about millennials and the generation you know after them but again i mean yeah even like i've got a kid who's 10 and um he uh, his mum's house he's allowed to go on these uh, like fortnight and stuff in in relatively small doses because otherwise it will turn him into a, a serial killer <laughs> probably <laughs> but even that that's a social activity in a yeah. way which um and and again that's quite hard for people to understand that are older because we grow up with you know you had mates around your house to play games maybe but this idea of you know globally networked gaming is new again so it's scary to some people because of that and it, again it, of course it has its downsides because 
um, you can very easily corrupt young people like that. Everyone understands that. But again, it's pointless to overlook the many good sides of mm. that, I think. which again, even if it's simple as like you said, having that community around you is becomes a really important thing. And um, once again, you'd rather, you'd rather see them every night, but you, we can't have that life. And even if, yeah. even when the pandemic is gone, you know, in this future that we're looking forward to, you still can't have that every night because life isn't like that. So again, it's important to find different ways of connecting to people. Yeah, for sure. And do you think that there's like um like a pressure that that comes with that as well? Because one of the things that, and I don't know if this was at all at all intentional in the book, was one of the characters used to be like a influencer. And there's a bit in the book where um you mention something along the lines of she she goes out for a run and she hates the idea of when she used to feel like she had to run every day because of the pressure of what she'd kind of built. And again, I don't know if that was an intentional moment in the book, but I picked up on it as like, you know, this, this pressure to, to perform this, this pressure to, to, to appear perfect, this pressure to keep up with what everyone else is doing online. Does that play a role as well? Do you think? Well, yeah, I think that um, the, the thing with the internet obviously is that it just, uh, it never ends. <laughs> That's one of the one of the, its biggest wonders. Is also one of its drawbacks, which is uh, there's always more of it. There's always more people. That, you know, the, the posting never ends. So if you're in a position like this character, Michaela, where people are depending on you to put stuff up, then the, the appetite for that is sort of unending. And I do think that's maybe a thing about the internet, about network living that our brains can't really deal with. Our brains are fairly finite. I mean, they're incredibly complex machines, the brains that we have, but nonetheless, they're, uh, it's very difficult for us to grasp the idea that mm. the internet is essentially limitless number of networks. And I think that, yeah, part of the problem with the, the reason that the internet sends people crazy uh, and in terms of trying to keep up with each other is, is as you say, that you could always compare yourself to in life. You can always compare yourself to someone who's doing better and someone who's doing worse. Um, but on the internet, those comparisons are like a click away. Mm. And it's not just a person. It's a million people doing better than you and a million people doing worse than you. So whatever tendency the, the brain has to make these comparisons or compete with other people or whatever it is, then obviously social media amplifies those by a thousand. And that's why people think it's inherently dangerous. And I suppose it is if you're 15 and you don't have, um, any perspective on it. I'm not suggesting all 15 year olds learn, but you see what I mean? But I, I think as you get older, you should learn to use these networks in a way that don't have to damage your own self-esteem basically. And again, that's easier said than done. And all of us need to get much smarter about the way we engage with social media. But again, I don't think that's the fault of social media. We have to understand how, because these things aren't going away. That's what I always try and say to people. Technology's not going to disappear unless the, pandemic gets so bad that we all have to leave the planet <laughs> basically we have to accept this is what 21st century living is and you don't have to opt in completely you can still you know, have to have a smartphone any of it but probably have to accept that it's only going to get more like this so what are the positive ways we can live around that yeah and is that something that you've you've consciously kind of I guess teach your kids is like how how to manage their way through this this social media world because like I don't know they're probably not on social media in such a way that a a young kind of teenager is but you know being ten and I'm not sure how old the the, the second child is but six yeah so they're not really um, um 
uh, yeah, I, the 10 year old certainly is very conscious of Instagram, TikTok, all of it. And, yeah. um, well, yeah, it's really difficult to know how to, um, how to police it. There's been times when I've, a couple of times I've put Instagram posts up with them in, um, as a joke, like advertising my radio show or like forcing them into child labor, basically. And those would always do quite well numbers wise, those videos. Um, and it was really fun for the 10 year old to look at the numbers climbing all the likes, all of it. And after a bit, I thought this maybe isn't a great idea because I don't want him to mm. uh, grow up with the idea that, uh, if you can get 8,000 likes on a thing, that's whatever, then that's automatically makes you a better person. You know, I, so I sort of rode back from that idea a bit. Um, but again, it's inevitable that they're going to grow up. They might not grow up like chasing the Twitter numbers, but if, if you, if you chat to kids that age, a lot of them want to be YouTubers or influencers or they, these natural career choices for them in the same way that pop star was for people my age or God knows football. Like, so um, teaching the kids how to keep that in perspective definitely is part of modern parenting. But how you do that, I don't know, because we didn't grow up with it. So I feel the same way that my parents probably did when we were playing on like Sega Mega Drive and stuff like yeah. that. They must have been like, well, these guys are completely addicted to these devices that we'd never seen five years ago. What are you going to do with that? Every generation of parents has to like give instructions on stuff which, we, which you never had yourself. And that's why everyone that's ever been a parent has at some point said, well, we didn't used to have this. We never had this. Because that's what that's your brain is just going, shit, I don't understand what this is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess you're you're almost kind of like having to keep up as much as the kids are because like as they're as they're coming into that that space of yeah. like understanding it, you're also trying to understand it from the other side. Exactly. And I, I suppose as you get older you you um your kids start to teach you more. Yeah. That's a natural reversal of the order. By the time your kids are um, 21 or like, I guess, younger than that, really, 16, 18, whatever age it is, there comes a point where uh, they are much better placed than you are to describe and understand the world and rationalise at least some aspects of the world, the world as it is today. You might still know more than them about how to do a tax return or <laughs> I, about the works of Dickens, but at some point they're going to be more kitted out for real life today than you are and i think that's a natural reversal of things and you should accept it gracefully because that's what getting older is but you don't because your brain is like well i'm the main person <laughs> my generation is the actual you know what's going on it's very hard to understand that you're being sort of displaced in that way from your own not displaced exactly but the world is moving on whether you like it or not I think that's why so many people like of course not all but it's why a number of people in their 60s become reactionary 60s and above because uh, you know at that point you can't deny you're not the main people anymore you know you feel like you are because you've been around for longer but you but you're not M most people on the in the world are now younger than you mm. so they have suppositions that are different from yours and i think just that very simple idea is incredibly hard for the brain to accept because for your brain to accept that it's got to accept that you are getting older and gonna die and you don't have an infinite place in the world all of these things are hard for people to get their heads around, I think. And you can respond to that by just lashing out and be like, everyone a day younger than me is wrong. <laughs> but the challenge is not to be like that as you get older, I think. Yeah, I think I think it's about I think I think a lot of what we what we don't do, particularly when in getting older and stuff, is like trying to understand is like we don't maybe necessarily I mean, don't I'm not in my sixties clearly, but like trying to understand what it is that the younger people are doing or 
dealing with or why and you know taking that kind of journey with it it's always like well i did things like this you should do things like that instead of trying to get in their world as well and be like okay let me try and see it from their perspective even if i don't really fully get it well exactly and that's very very important that that sort of empathy is crucial to being a a human in a in a society you should be able to look at a six-year-old or a 90-year-old and understand at least at least try and guess the sort of stuff that's in their head Mm. because if you don't do that you know that if you live uh a healthy like a life of a healthy length you are gonna be a, a very young and very old hopefully at some point there's just different versions of your your own past and future so you, you should you know no generation should be your enemy because all of us are just you know replacing each other in that way but as you say not everyone not everyone does make that effort it's a lot of effort to climb inside someone's mind and care about what they care about or at least temporarily or at least understand what those things are but if you yeah. don't do that, then other people's behaviour will always seem mysterious to you, and then you'll never you'll never get on with them. Basically, yeah. does, does that amplify with being a parent because you've got you know young kids, and all of a sudden you're trying to like look at them and be like, well, what what is it that they're doing or or, or feeling or why, and trying to understand their view of this you know 21st century world versus when you were the same age as them. Well. Yeah, it does amplify. There's no, everyone says that having kids makes you feel older. And part of that is just uh, tiredness. <laughs> part of it is, is this more fundamental thing that, as you say, it's the first time that you've not been. Someone said to me before I, we had the first child, um, it's the first time you've not been central figure in your own life. And that's basically what it is. Once you have to care as much about someone else's needs as you're, if you're in a long-term relationship or something, of course you do, but it's not that, they don't depend on you in quite the same way. It's the only time in your life when you become responsible for the lives of other people to that extent. And that, yeah, obviously the effect that has is to make you realize, as I said before, that you're just one person in a chain of people that goes on forever. And that is a really, really weird mental adjustment to make because we all live in our own brains and our own lives. And that's all we can really focus on. Yeah. And is there anything then that you think you've learned about yourself in that process of, you know, realizing that you're part of a long chain of. Oh, well, I think I have learned how wrapped up I am in my own stuff. Like, um, all of us are, but you know, especially if you're an entertainer, a comedian, this sort of thing, your, your job is about selling yourself quite hard. So, you know, you are your product. Even if you're writing a book, it's a book that you wrote, but especially mm-hmm. if you stand up, it's you're selling yourself standing up as a, you know, all, all, all of us have to live as, walking adverts for ourselves in a way but being in entertainment is especially like that I think so having kids has made me step back from that a bit and realize that um I can't be 100% about myself the whole time it's easy to become a bit narcissistic in this sort of game because people are paying to listen to you talking about stuff that happened to you and what you thought about it basically it's a massive exercise in self-reflection and reflecting on yourself is a healthy habit but um it is also very important to have other things to focus on, I think. And for yeah. some people, that's just a pet or anything, you know, an elderly relative that you have to look after. Or it's healthy as a human to have someone else's needs to focus on. But there's nothing quite like kids for that because they really do need a lot of stuff <laughs> from yeah, you. Yeah, I bet. Is there anything else that, that you do then to kind of keep yourself grounded in a way in terms of like not getting caught up in the hysteria or like the media hype or the, that just kind of world of celebrity for want of a better word well uh a lot of it is just kind of um 
I mean, most of my friends aren't comedians or any sort of celebrities for a start. That probably helps. I think people do sometimes get too sucked into this world when they mostly draw their friends and associates from that same world because then you are in this universe where everyone is all about, you know, whatever, parties or gossip or each other's social media or, you know. But I don't really have that because um, by far the vast majority of people I'm close to are... At best, they're sort of in the industry, but not probably necessarily. They're not actual comedians. I've got some friends who are comedians, but most of them aren't. So I think it's that. You need friends who are doing normal stuff that they don't care too much about, or at least don't aren't so addicted to your highs and lows and ups and downs. You know, that they, Because it's easy to feel as if, if you get too sucked into a job like this, that everyone is watching your every move for good or ill, which means mm. if you have setbacks, it feels as if they're very public. Everything, everyone saw me, everyone thinks this and that about me very healthy to not just in comedy i think whatever you're doing in life work-wise or vocation-wise is very valuable to have circles of friends who either don't care about it that much or don't know about it who just care about you they they don't care about it in the same way you do about their stuff but um, they shouldn't be all about that because you as a person are obviously much bigger and more complex than the stuff that you do whatever that is. Yeah. And I think it, it, it comes down to, doesn't it? Like having those people, like you said, you don't have to be at a level of celebrity or, or being known or having X amount of followers online or whatever, but just at wherever you are in your life, it's like having people within it that keep you with your feet on the ground in a way. They, they remind you that you're not the main character in this life. You're the main That's character right. in your own life, but in life in general, it's like, we're all part of the same. That's right. Thing. Yeah. And when people become very um, famous and go seem to go a bit crazy people like um uh, you know kanye west getting that hologram for his wife whatever it was you know it's stuff that seems to be like objectively bonkers celebrity behavior i think it just does come from the fact that um if you start if you get that famous then it's almost impossible to interact with people who aren't also mm-hmm. famous and or who aren't part of your entourage your staff whatever you, you, you know because I imagine if you're Kanye and you're in a WhatsApp group about football or something, you know, pretty soon someone on the group says, anyway, back to you at the Grammys, you know, very, and also I think you must become suspicious of people who new people you meet because you think that they're into it for the fame or whatever. So basically, yeah, I think it's really important before you achieve any level of fame to build up a healthy network of people around you who were there beforehand but yeah it's also true well away from the fame entertainment any of it whoever you are you need people in your life that know who you are as a person and value that Mm. rather than or after you achieving a particular thing or or, you know you're not your deeds and accomplishments you you are an actual person yeah yeah which which in a way beautifully circles back around to the message of your book right it's like having that yeah. group of people around you that you can connect with and feel feel a part of that community and, and understanding that there's a there's connections out there for you even if it's sometimes not face to face and it's you know through your phone or your device or whatever that those connections are still there uh yeah yeah i think um that I think one of the biggest things I want people to take away from the book is, as you say, that you are always part of a, a connected universe. Your life matters much more to other people than you think and to more more other people as well. Like in, in the book, James's um, contact list is, there's like 160 people or something that he, all of whom received this message and some of the people really affected by it are 
um, obviously like his ex or his, his mate, people that have got reason to be guilty for the fact that he's this depressed, but other people are just people that he's only ever met a few times, but he still has had a positive impact on, on them. I think when you're, um, you know, when you're down, if you watch a film like It's Wonderful Life, which is all about the guy, mm-hmm. you know, like an all-American family hero, and he, he, an angel proves during the film that he's done loads of good without even knowing it. If, you, if you're in a particular state of mind, you're like, well, that's all very well for him, but he's obviously a hero. He's, he's, he's Jimmy Stewart. He's, you know, he's a great family man, dad. It, but that's the point, really. When You don't have to be that kind of hero. You don't have to save someone's life or as he has, he saved his brother's life, I think in the film and like, yeah. you know, also saves a business from going bankrupt and saves a whole community. He, he is a hero without knowing it, but you don't have to be that. The character in the book, James hasn't really done any of these dramatic things, but he still is a really positive force for good in loads of people's lives, just by existing and trying to be a decent human. And all of us are that if we do our best in life. Um, and that's why the contact idea is important because it's, you know, days can go by when you don't feel as if what you do matters that much to anyone, really. Social media is awash with people saying, I feel like I'm on my own here. Nobody nobody cares what I, you know, and it's, it's ne- that's never true, basically. It always has an impact on somebody and that person in turn affects other people. So just by being in this world, unless you live in a cave, I mean, even then there's probably someone like, delivering food to your cave or something you know as humans we do not live individually basically however much it feels like it in difficult times yeah yeah and i think that's that's a really important takeaway is like even in times of deep loneliness which again i think a lot of us might have felt at that times this year it's like you you still had some positive impact in the world or in someone else's life and it's like you always have yeah yeah and i think that's that's really great um again allowing yourself to believe that is one of the big challenges I think because the the more lonely you get, the more you convince yourself that that loneliness has something to do with your personality or decisions you've made or whatever. But it's not. It's a, it's a passing state of mind, which doesn't necessarily stack up with reality at all. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think yeah, and and, and that's why I really enjoyed the book. Is like that message is quite strong in in the end and throughout. And it's yeah, really, really, really happy that that kind of work is out in the world because it's not. I haven't read too many things like that because I, I don't tend to read a lot of fiction either I, I read a lot of non-fiction so it was nice to read a fiction-based book which is obviously anchored in a non-fiction idea if that makes sense I mean that's nice actually uh I because you know I've had several people say I don't normally read that many novels and this has really appealed to me and that's nice you know I, I feel like a lot of the thing that um puts people off it is feeling like you know, I'm not the sort of person that reads that much fiction and so I wanted the book to appeal to people. I think that it's a bit of a weird way to market it by saying, if you don't normally like novels, you might like my one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I feel like the themes are universal enough that you don't have to be like a big book person. So it's gratifying when people do say that. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, look, dude, I really appreciate the time today. I've got one final question for you, which I hope is comes across in the book as well. But what does happiness mean to you? Hmm. Well, I think... Uh, it's biggie, obviously. Um, (laughs) someone, someone said to me a long time ago that happiness is basically, um, just the absence of the absence of problems, the absence of worries, just being in a place where there is nothing on your mind that is a worry. And I, I agree with that or I accepted the idea at the time, but I don't believe that anymore really, because 
sometimes you think about traditional like Christian ideas of heaven or, you know, religious ideas of like heaven paradise. That's basically what it is. You don't have any worries anymore. You don't have a, a body. Your earthly stuff is all gone. But if you actually imagine that life, it, uh, it's not very attractive yeah. because you've got nothing to struggle for, nothing to, you know. I, I mean, I, I, a proper religious person would say, well, it's just because your brain can't imagine it. It's a state of bliss, blah, blah. I'm fine. You know, that might, that's a fine thing to believe in. But I, I no longer think that happiness is just about not worrying. It, I'd say it's more something to do with feeling completely um, right about where you are in your own skin. Like mm. from sitting down with a glass of wine and the football's on, and you're chatting to a mate what, what, with your girlfriend, whatever it is that, that, but they're all things that you think this is exactly what I should be doing at, at this moment. I think that's my answer properly. I think a lot of unhappiness comes from the fact that you're aware there's a gap between what you're doing with your hours on this earth and what you should be doing, but you don't know how to narrow that gap. So like, yeah. I mean, it's kind of an obvious thing to say, but if there is a secret to happiness, it's, work out what you want to be doing on this earth, no matter how difficult it is to get there, find a way of getting there, I suppose. Because I think, you know, a lot of people, again, this is really easy to say, and it's very difficult to follow, but a lot of people that are unhappy, I think, if you ask them what would be better, you know, what version of yourself would be better, they can't really answer it. And that's your problem, I think. If you, mm -hmm. can, you can even say, I wish I was doing this, not stuff like I wish I lived in a mansion or wish not unattainable things, but if you can say, well, like I wish I'd become a pianist or I wish I saw my cousin or whatever it is, things which are theoretically within your grasp, then even the fact you can identify those things means you could get them. So that already is a step forward, I think. Yeah. And I think what I'm kind of getting from that is, is the idea of being at ease, even amongst the worries that you exactly. have. It's like, Exactly. I, I think I don't think in life you will exterminate all of the worries you're ever going to have. But what you what you can do is accept that those worries are part of what you take on as a human and find ways to deal with them. Yeah. I, yeah. I think if you think that happiness is just I'll never be unhappy again, a day that can come where you are a person that looks in the mirror and thinks, all right, broadly speaking, I'm happy with what I'm doing here. Yeah. And that's happiness. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, like I said, man, I really appreciate the time today um, and for, you know, coming to talk about so many things and the themes in the book. But before we do sign out, do you want to let people know where they can keep up to date with you online, where they can find more of your work, yeah. the book, etc.? Um, I'm Watson Comedian, um, which is, yeah, Watson Comedian. Well, you'll put it up, I'm sure. That's on Twitter and Instagram. I don't do a lot of Instagram, actually, but I do do quite a lot of Twitter. It's Watson Comedian because someone some like tech guy got Mark Watson before I even knew about Twitter, <laughs> even though it was quite a few years ago. Um, and the book is called Contacts and easy to, easy to find with a with search. Awesome. Well, thank you, dude. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope everything goes well with the, with the book and the rest of the year for you as well. Thanks a lot. It's nice to chat you guys. So there we have it. I hope that you enjoyed this one. And if you like what you heard, then please be sure to leave a review. And even better still, hit that subscribe button so you can get the latest episode straight to your phone. And if you know someone who you think would benefit from hearing this episode, then be sure to send them the link or a screenshot because it's really important that we continue to spread the positive vibes and messages of episodes like this. I started this podcast to help inspire a positive change and you can also be a part of that by sharing this episode. As ever, you can connect with me on Instagram at IamAlexManzi or TikTok AlexManziCoaching. Until then, thank you for listening and I will see you for the next episode. 
This podcast is produced by Unedited.